Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Welcome to Last Drinks. Now, this week's episode is actually a part two. So if you missed part one, go and find episode 17. It's called Last Drinks with an Addiction Expert. I chat to Dr. Buddy. He's an addiction medicine specialist doctor. He's based in Newcastle. He's a clinical researcher in the field of addiction. He has an MD, a Master's of Public Health from Harvard University, and a PhD. He is also a certified recovery coach and so, so fascinating to talk to about alcohol addiction and recovery. So this is part two of my chat with Dr. Buddy because I just could talk to this guy for decades. We go a little more in-depth about spirituality as a recovery tool. We talk about metacognition, how willpower just doesn't cut it when it comes to alcohol addiction. And I actually put my stop drinking strategy under the microscope with Dr. Buddy and get, I guess, his take on whether or not it's a good way to go if you're thinking about stopping drinking. Please enjoy Last Drinks with an Addiction Expert, Part 2. In terms of recovery, definitely, I think there's an important place and and people can define it in their own way, you know, but it's a connection to something bigger. And I want to echo, too, what you mentioned earlier about awareness. And I think it really does, I think for a lot of people, the awareness of your relationship with alcohol is the first step in that assessment of, is this working for me? Is this good for me? Is is this helping me show up every day as my best self? And even that initial becoming aware that it might even be a problem, that it might be a red flag and not a problem according to anybody else's definition of a problem, but for you yourself, that awareness, that initial hunch of like, oh, I don't think this is working for me or maybe you know, I can't get through a weekend without a drink and and maybe that's not my best shot at a weekend. It's not my best way to show up. The awareness is so essential in the, the steps to recovery. And also what you said about, and I, this is my nerdy word, Woody, I love using the word metacognition because I, and I think that's what you're talking about, which is the awareness of your own thoughts and thinking about your own thoughts and then asking yourself, are they true? Is this true? Are these thoughts that I'm having the truth? And nine times out of 10, they're not. They're bullcrap. <laughs> well, mine are. <laughs> and as somebody who's a chronic overthinker who has struggled with anxiety and overthinking and catastrophizing things, 99.99999% of the things that I've catastrophized in my life have never happened to me. And then the sad things that have happened, like my dad passed away a few months ago and it's a terrible tragedy and I'm still grieving and it's so complex, but I'm so present in it 
that I'm able to go through the grief. And so when I ask myself the question, you know, are these tears just for dad? They are, and that's okay. And at least I can have that conversation with myself. It sounds a little nutty talking to myself in my head about my thoughts, but I think it's actually something that a lot of us should do a lot more often because you might get to the crux of a problem sooner. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, a few of the things you said are all parts of the recovery sort of um, tools that you can have that awareness. Absolutely. Um, coming back into the present to notice uh, what's going on rather than those subconscious beliefs, not good enough, uh, not it's not that or I should be doing this or that sort of just running our um, life. And um, one of the things with addiction is with um, the process of addiction, when you're starting off and when you um, are at different stages of it, coming back to the present allows to notice what's going on so that you can then make a choice and it doesn't have to be I'm going to set a goal to be 30 days abstinence although there's a lot of evidence that that is a good sort of um, thing to try as an experiment but it'll be I'm going to watch this process rather than just let it play out subconsciously and over time instead of um, this sort of constant tug of war it slowly the the reward of what you're doing comes back into the fore is it really as rewarding as I've been um, assuming? And then that sort of drive and that sort of desire can can change. So it's a mindfulness-based way that means instead of white-knuckling, we're kind of using the circuitry in our brain that um, is very powerful, rather the older circuitry rather than the newer sort of, um, you know, I'm going to just um, use willpower to do something which, as I said, goes offline. So I think that's really valuable. And then the thing about um, the expressing grief and emotions, I mean, there's a part of what I think keeps people stuck is shame. Um, and that's definitely part of the addictive process. Um, shame, guilt is when I've done something wrong. Shame is when I've internalised it. There's something wrong about me. And it's such a distressing emotion that... Um, we need to numb it or escape it. And the journey of recovery is self-compassion. So not not the shoulds and woulds, but this, this awareness. And then the other part of it is realizing that um, by doing these things, I can change the kind of payoff that I'm having in with this behavior so that it shifts rather than me having to use willpower, I'm actually shifting it through that process that you're talking about awareness. It's so helpful. I wanted to ask you about, this is something that I found in my early recovery and I I would just love to know your thoughts on a strategy that may have been more helpful for me or for someone who's listening to this. Is When I very first stopped drinking and I did actually do it as a 31-day experiment. That was my approach. I had zero quit lit. I just had, I just knew that I was dependent on alcohol. I was high functioning. I was very unhappy and I and I just wanted to stop. So I thought I'll stop for 31 days, January 2015, and see how I go. And I haven't had a drink since. But I remember 
those first few probably weeks, it was like all I did was think about not drinking. Like I kept going, I'm not drinking. I can't drink. Don't think about drinking. Don't drive past the bottle shop. Don't go into the bottle shop. Don't go near alcohol. Don't do like I, and this, I was just constantly in my head going, don't do that. Don't do that. And I had this real sense of deprivation. It wasn't FOMO. It wasn't the fear of missing out because I was still socializing. I was just doing it as a sober person, which was very weird. I put myself in in those environments. Um, My job at the time required me to be quite social. So I kept going and I would just drink soda water and, and deal with the abuse that people would give me for not drinking alcohol, which is crazy. But I did have this ongoing thing in my head where it's like all I could think about all the spare time that I had was don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, and don't screw up this experiment that you've kind of set up for yourself. And then that voice did fade away at some point. It became less loud and I started thinking about other things. That 30 days, I think, is a, you know, in a lot of cultures, there's fasting for 30 days. It's it, There's wisdom to it. There's more than just a current um Bad. And and I think that's partly to do with things like um, that resetting of the um, trigger, the habit, and then the reward circuitry where um, over time it gets sensitized to um, need that substance or uh, to to um, to for relief. So you've you you've set up this thing that's now hypersensitive to the negative emotional states and. And you start to feel craving and a real agitation when when the substance is not there. And then you take it and you feel this relief, which is really um, treating the withdrawals and the, the lack of. And so you're then stuck in that cycle. Um, and by, th- by the 30-day mark, that starts to reset the um, neurotransmitters that have down-regulated, which are the ones that, um, like the GABA system, is what dampens the nervous system. And that those that gets down regulated when it's chron- the brain's chronically exposed to alcohol. So over the thirty days, you start to let that system recover. You let start to let the dopamine system recover, which has been um, dampened, so that you don't experience uh, as much positives. You don't get as much highs. The system has been down regulated, and then the stress system is hypersensitized. So all that you can't really unpack anxiety and um, and other things. Uh, until you've given your brain that break. So getting to those 30 days, having that clear why you're doing it is is the first thing. Um, to, uh, so having the understanding that this is part of being able to experience what it's like with without alcohol and is it true, all those things that I think about it, that it's needed for relaxation, needed for managing social situations. How do you get there is up to every person and it's completely individual. Some people need the the holiday where they're not associated with their triggers. Sounds like you managed to do it with all the triggers um, in place. Um, and I think I can, I'll talk a bit about some of the strategies that you can use. Just on that trigger um, thing, the, the reward system, the dopamine system is about memory. And not only will you be hyper sensitized to the image of a drink or a but even to the entire sort of things associated with it so if you like a pub that you would go to or you're getting ready to go out and that was part of the ritual that starts to trigger the whole system um and so 
again, bringing mindfulness in, okay, as you're starting to get ready to go out with your friends, you're starting to notice that craving system is starting to kick in. And, and if, if you pick it up early before it's sort of gone down a, um, a tunnel and you're lost in the, like, there's a certain point where you, the, you're committed to this thing, I'm going to have that first drink. So those, getting awareness and then setting up an environment, it might be to do it as part of a 30-day group um, with daily reminders and a practice. Um, it might be to bring in things like yoga, meditation. It might be walks, um, whatever is your cup of tea. But it's it's making that first um, step. And if, if the thought of 30 days is too scary, you just try what you can and, it, and the first step might be just I'm going to bring some awareness into what I'm doing currently develop those mindfulness um, awareness strategies and then then decide on another date what you want to do so um, maybe if I could ask you how did you get through that time I mean I did a lot of praying <laughs> but in a practical sense the way I approached it was I journaled a lot. So I every morning I would wake up feeling a little bit clearer in the brain um, because I wasn't drinking and I would write. Writing is, you know, a hobby. I love writing. I had the time to do it and I had the clarity of mind to do it. So my approach really was I journaled through that first month of sobriety and then at the end of the month, I went back and I read my journal. And it was actually quite amazing because that was the moment that I went, oh, my God, there she is. And I realized my self-worth was so non-existent. But I found myself through my writing again. And then I realized that I could love her and treat her well. And, you know, so that was definitely one side of it. And that was a very spiritual experience for me. So the daily journaling helped get me out of my head, putting pen to paper. And then the other thing I did is I, and I continue to do is I got out in nature. So I, instead of catching up with friends, if if I didn't need to catch up with friends in the afternoon where we would booze it up and have wine, I would say to my girlfriend, let's get up and go for a sunrise walk through the woods or at the beach. And so I reallocated my social so that I would spend, so I would, I don't go out for dinner. I go out for breakfast now, you know? And so I just sort of re, I guess, yeah, I reassigned my social so that I was up early and, and filling up my cup early in the morning. So journaling and nature are probably the two, two things that really worked for me. And, and I just chose those two things because I knew that there were things that I'd lent on in the past and there were things that I loved doing. I didn't start journaling as somebody who hated writing. I started journaling because I used to journal years ago, even when I was a teenager, and I've always found it a useful tool. And then again, you know, walking walking through nature, I some of my fondest memories of my family when my parents were together were me, my mum and my dad walking our dog around the block and we would walk through these sort of like old farms and stuff and so for me those things were really quite personal and they brought me joy and so that helped me get through that sort of that loop exactly yeah look what you just described is a, if if we were working together like in a coaching conversation it would be not me telling you but uh, help, uh, working to ask what are those things that have brought joy in the past that get you out of the, your head, um, that connect you with 
with the sense of awe and and you've just said you know journaling where you're putting this thing down for um instead of it playing out in your head you're putting it down in some ways to the universe and then the same way connecting and walking um in nature and everyone has their own thing i work with a lot of men and one of my friends said you know when um he's a farmer and he said there was a mental health day and um someone from the city came and you know two men turned up to but then he organized a fishing trip and then 150 men came up you know and 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 no no fishing is an excuse to hang together and chat because you know we live in a a, men are starting to more and more be comfortable talking about grief and sadness and processing it rather than shoving it down um so it leaks out in unhealthy ways but um so everyone's different going fishing if if that's something my friends would do and and the small change might be not to take the beers along when they go or take some some something else you know um so those are things and and it's as you say it's it's individual um and it's making that small effort and i think the trick is also shame is the thing that sets us back um, and keeps us stuck and so if you're setting goals that are too big to start with then it's um more likely to feed into that shame cycle whereas if you set something small like what is that activity did i like painting playing the guitar journaling bring that start bringing that back do some one little step and then um that comes towards the recovery journey that they say addiction is doing something that in the short term that feels good that has long-term pain and recovery is doing something in the short term that's a little bit uncomfortable a little bit of a stretch but with a long-term positive reward and uh, just like you found that those resources they came together at a point and and it led to a different path um everyone can find their own version of that and i just so appreciate your wisdom and your help on this subject it's something i'm so passionate about and i want to just try and normalise sobriety as much as possible. The work that you do is incredible. You're helping people become their best selves and I really value your time. So thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 